Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you. Isn't that a great song? I'll tell you, man, it, it motivates me and challenges me. And in fact, one of the reasons at Coastal that we have a, a missions kiosk or a missions information center is because, man, we, we want to be a church that doesn't just sit here on Sunday morning and, and sit in rows and face forward. We want to be a church that's out on the streets and, and touching people's hearts and lives. And there is a place for you to be involved in, a, in an area, in our community, nationally and around the world that doesn't directly affect Coastal Community Church. And if you're like, man, I didn't know that, go to the Missions Information Center and find out how you can get involved. That's good stuff, isn't it, church? Uh, it's good to see you. Okay, so we're going to finish up our series this morning called Go. And uh, I'm excited about this. Next week is Easter Sunday. Okay, there's a handout in your bulletin. I really encourage you to get that out. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew uh, uh, chapter 28, verse 18. We're going to finish up on the Great Commission. Uh, next week, we're going to have uh, three, no Saturday night service next week, but three Sunday morning Easter services. Okay, so uh, just to make sure you you guys have been listening. First service next week is when? Anybody remember? 8.15. The second one is 9.45. And the third one... 11.15. Okay, great. So uh, three weeks ago, I gave you a card called a Reach 3 card. I was encouraging you to pray and ask the Lord, hey, lay some people on my heart maybe that don't know Christ or to my knowledge don't know have a church and, and hopefully you've been praying for them and about them. And, and my hope is uh, then last week we equipped you with an invite card. There's one in a chair in front of you. There's more at the Connect Center. Really, really want to encourage you to use that as an opportunity to invite them uh, to hear the greatest story ever told is that uh, the, uh, the grave was robbed by a guy named Jesus Christ, okay? And uh, he gives us great hope. And, and so I'm really, really looking forward to next week and hope that you'll bring a friend. College students, I want to remind you that we are serving uh, a lunch after the 11:15 service. And my hope is for twofold. Uh, one, last year after the Easter service, I saw a whole bunch of college students going like, where are you going for lunch? I know a lot of you can't go home for Easter, those kind of things. And so, you know, I wanted to provide something for you. But it's also an opportunity for you to invite some classmates. And, and maybe you've got a roommate or a classmate or a friend or whatever that uh, doesn't have a church. It's investigating and maybe, you know, not really beginning to investigate truths. And uh, I hope that you'll use that weekend too to invite them. And so that card's for you. And, and I hope we're filled up at 1115 with college students. It'll be a great time to worship. I um, uh, I think that's all the announcements I want to make. I uh, Last week was spring break uh, for most people, uh, for the high school students, middle school and elementary. But uh, I was home with my kids a couple days, took a couple days off with them. And, and uh, one of the days I, I took them in the afternoon, I went golfing. Anybody go golfing? this week. I mean, you couldn't have like hand selected a better week to go golfing, right? And so my kids, as they're getting older, um, you know, when they were younger, we played golf, uh, their mistakes weren't as pronounced, okay? And, and so, you know, like I'm a horrible golfer and uh, I've actually taken a couple lessons with probably one of the better teaching pros here in the community, but I'm not allowed to mention his name because I'm bad for business, okay? And so, because I'm so bad. And so uh, I, I, when you golf, I have this thing called a slice and, and you're supposed to be able to hit the ball straight, which I can never do. And so I slice and I go left to right, okay? And so what I've learned to do is just make adjustments for my bad play. And I like, like if I'm supposed to hit it this way, I just aim way over here and somehow it ends up over here, you know, most of the time. And that's how I did it. So my kids are struggling a little bit. And so I walk over to my children and I begin to give them some lessons. Like, here's, what, here's kids how I do it, you know? And, and, and I realized about halfway through, I'm like, what am I doing? I do it wrong too, you know? I'm in no position to teach them anything, you know, about golf. I, I don't even know myself. And I thought, you know, how great would it be if my kids at an early age had a great teaching golf pro to just walk beside them for 18 holes and just say, no, no, here's what you need to make the right adjustments. And for them at a young age to be trained to be really good golf players. 
players, okay? And, and then it wouldn't be such a frustrating sport for them. And it got me to thinking about this week's sermon because I'm finishing up the Go series and we're finishing up with the line that Jesus gave for those that are disciples, okay? That we are to teach others all that Christ has commanded us. And I thought, how incredible that we have been given an instruction manual by the creator of the universe to teach us how to do life. Isn't that incredible? No, nobody? Okay, so it's amazing, right? I mean, like, the creator of the universe has said, here's, here's how life works. Here's, here's how you can find purpose. Here's how you can find joy. Here's how you can find hope. He's, he's given us the instruction manual, and in the commissioning that he's given his church, he says, I want you to go out, and I want you to teach the disciples all I've commanded you. Check this out in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus told his disciples... I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, remember, we started this series with the bookends of the commissioning is the authority of Jesus Christ. It's this whole, two, this whole commission that Christ has given his church is bookended by his authority. Verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach these, this is what we're going to focus on here this morning, teach these new disciples to do what, church? What to say? To what? Obey, right, all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. Here's the bookend, okay? And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, okay? So this morning, I want to focus in on this teaching to obey all that Christ has commanded, all right? Now, there is the authority of the teaching that the church has, and, and as a disciple, the authority is, is a biblical authority, and, and there's authority when there's biblical teaching, Okay, there's authority. And why is there authority? Well, this goes to what I said the first week. When we teach, we teach the scriptures in the authority of the resurrected Jesus Christ. All right, he's our authority. He, this commissioning was given after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, okay? And he bookended the commissioning to his church with his own authority and conquering the grave. It is the resurrected Jesus Christ that is the proof of the power of the word of God. I want you to hear that again. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the proof of the power of the word of God. I'm going to point out why that's the case in just a moment. But you know, the Bible teaches one of the reasons I'm so excited for next week when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ is that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is abundantly clear. He says, if there's no resurrection of Christ, then your faith and your Christianity and this gathering, all of it is useless. You might as well do whatever you want. Did you know that? If there's no Easter Sunday, all of it is, is really for nothing. You have no hope. You know, the grave has final say over you if there's no resurrection. But our teaching is in the authority of the Christ who says, I am now commissioning you to teach all that I've commanded. He is absolutely in power. I want you to see this in John chapter 10, what Jesus said about his resurrection. This is, every time I read this verse, it gives me chills of, of the power of Christ. I think sometimes... When we look at Good Friday and we see the brutality of Good Friday over our Savior Jesus, we, I think we, we assume he did it in weakness. He didn't do it in weakness. He did it in meekness. There's a difference, right? Meekness is when you voluntarily lay aside your power because that's what Jesus did. Check this out. He says, no one can take my life from me. 
Church, you hear that? There is nobody in this room that can claim that. There's no one in this room that gets to sit here and say, I'll go when I'm ready to go, right? Nobody. We, it's our, our, our dying day is completely out of our control, but not to Jesus Christ. He says, no one takes my life from me. What's he do? What's he say? I sacrifice it what? Voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down and when I want to, and I also take it up again. Isn't that incredible? This is the authority of Christ. He says, I, I will lay my life down when I'm ready and I will take it up again. Okay, he says, for this is what my father has commanded me. And so then in that understanding of the authority of Christ, he has commissioned his church to teach all that he's commanded under his authority. The authority to teach the word of God is in the resurrected Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to understand about the authority of teaching the Bible is it is the word of God. I remember when I was in seminary class, I had a a professor that said this. He said, the word of God accurately taught is the word of God. Think about that. The word of God accurately taught is the word of God. Now, how often do we hear the word of God taught and we go, "Uh, that doesn't apply to me. We hear the word of God taught about sex and sexuality or giving and finances or how to use our time or how to treat another person or how to treat somebody in our church body or how to make amends when a relationship goes sideways. And we think, well, that doesn't apply to me. The word of God taught accurately is the word of God. And its authority is built into God's word and it has authority over our lives. And the teaching of the word of God is empowered by the Holy Spirit. When the word of God is actually taught, the Holy Spirit empowers it and it changes our hearts and it changes our lives. And Jesus said, I want you to teach these new disciples to obey all that I have commanded you. Now, I want to pause here for a minute and, and, and make sure we understand what we're talking about. Because at first blush, you might look at the command of Christ and you might say, well, he's just telling us to be good right? He's just telling us to keep the rules. I mean, you know, here's the checklist, keep the rules and God's happy with you. So you got to understand the process of a disciple, okay? And how the word of God and the law of God and the commands of God factors into your salvation and your need for a savior. And then how that overflow of a savior pushes us to keep the commands of God, okay? The law of God is a good thing. I think a lot of times we, because of the gospel message, we think the law of God is unnecessary. The law of God is completely necessary. In fact, what we're supposed to do is read the commands of God and the law of God. Like, let's just take one. Let's take one of the Ten Commandments, for instance, right? That's one of the commands of God. And let's just say, you know, the Bible says we shouldn't lie, right? Anybody in here ever lied, right? Anybody ever fudge the truth a little bit, right? I know I have. And by the way, the, the first sin started with just a, a little questioning of the word of God, didn't it? Remember when Satan tempted Eve? What did what Satan say? Did God say, does this really apply to you, right? And so one little lie, and so what happens is that makes me a liar. And if I'm a liar, I can't go to the place of heaven where God has taken us because we already see what one little sin does to an entire world, don't we? It's broken and a mess, And so, boy, guess what? No liars are getting into heaven. 
pretty frightening place to be. That's just one, right? And so we look at the commands of God, and it's kind of a mirror. It's a reflection, and what it's supposed to do to our hearts is, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh, I'm a mess, right? And by the way, the law of God is the character of God. The law of God is, the commands of God is who God is, holy and righteous and good. And the law of God is supposed to be a mirror of reflection. And what happens is not only do we realize our inability to keep the law of God, but the truth be told, left to our human nature, the Bible's very clear. Not only are we unable to keep the law of God, the truth be told, we don't even want to keep the law of God. And not only do we not want to keep the law of God left to ourselves in our humanity, in our human nature, we will actually hear the law of God and our natural man will say, not only do I not want to keep it, not only am I unable to keep it, I'd rather do the opposite of God's character and God's law, right? If you're here this morning and you're a disciple and you're a follower of Christ, you remember those days, right? And I was running 100 miles an hour away from the law of God. However, God in his grace and his love and his mercy, he reached down by the power of the word coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit and helped me recognize my hatred for the character or the commands or the law of God. He helped me recognize my complete inability to change and my need for saving, my need for a savior who was indeed mighty to save. Isn't that incredible? And so he sent his son to keep the law perfectly, to pay the penalty for all those who disobey the law, and then by grace through faith has blessed those with law-keeping who had the inability to keep the law. Isn't that incredible? That's the message of the gospel. And these who have bowed a knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, receive the righteousness of the law credited to them, and these are called disciples. And so if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a disciple, and you have been given a new heart. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that gives you new life, and now Jesus points you back to the law, right? Jesus points you back and he says, now out of worship and a renewed heart and a desire to bring me glory in all things, we pursue the righteousness of the commands of God. Isn't that cool? Now here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever because I don't want you to leave here this morning and think, well, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple, I should be perfect. No, the Bible's very clear. We are gonna continue to stop. Sin is always gonna be with us until we are given our new bodies in kingdom come, all right? Until then, we're going to wrestle with sin. But here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, all right? An unbeliever sins and loves their sin. A believer sins and hates their sin. That's the difference. That's the new heart. And so when we stumble as a believer, the same message that saved us is the same message that makes us cling back to Jesus Christ. You know what? God, I stumbled, I hate it, and I come to Christ. I'm reminded of my need for a Savior, but I'm going to pursue the righteous commands of the law of God. Pretty incredible, right, how the law of God works. 
You know, I've, one of the dangers of preaching the Great Commission without understanding the need for discipleship and the need for the gospel message is it looks like a checklist. We can leave here thinking, oh, I've just got to be good. I've got to do, 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 and, I can, and then I'll, uh, God will be happy with me. And sometimes people uh, in their pursuit of grace will say, you know, I don't need the law of God anymore, okay, because I, you know, I, I've been given grace. And I want to encourage you, you know, grace is, grace is, um, and actually, Pastor Jeff gave me this quote a couple weeks ago. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's just opposed to earning. Does that make sense? It's, grace has earned it for us. But the command of Christ is, teach these new disciples to obey all that I've commanded you. How do we do that? With a new heart. This is, God, I'm going to go obey the things you've given me out of worship and the new life that you've given me. And so... We have the authority of the word of God. Now, let me talk to you briefly about the transforming power of God's word. It's one of the reasons that Coastal, uh, we spend a lot of time teaching. It's why in our corporate worship service, we give a significant chunk to the teaching of the word of God. It's why in our small groups, we spend a significant chunk of our small groups talking about the word of God. It's why at our youth group, we spend a significant time talking about God's word. It's why, because we believe the word of God is transforming in your heart and life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says it this way. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our innermost desires. Why? Well, first of all, it does that because it's the source. The source of it is God's word, okay? And we already kind of hit on that, so I'm going to move quickly past that. But the reason it cuts so deeply into our hearts and lives is because it's from God. The second reason is because of its scope, the scope of the word of God. It cuts into our body, our soul, our joint, marrow, thoughts, desires, everything. Here's the point of that, okay? The scope of God's word is it touches every part of your life. So when Jesus says, teach them all that I've commanded you, it's because the word of God covers everything. It, it, it will change the way you do time management. It's like Brian kind of challenges with, with that song. Like, like you can't hear the gospel, be transformed by the gospel, understand humanity's needs by the gospel, and not change your calendar a little bit. It's got to consume you, the message of Christ. And it's going to change your parenting, and it's going to change your marriage. It's going to change the way you do sex and sexuality. It's going to change the way you use your money. It's going to change your church life. It's going to change your relationship. It's going to change how your, your role with the, the government. It's going to change everything about your life, right? I remember years ago, I took a trip as a youth pastor. We were, uh, did a missions trip to downtown Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, this church that we were serving alongside of, the pastor did every sermon for a whole year. I don't know how long he did it, but I know he did it for a year. He would stand up before the sermon, he'd hold up this book called the Bible, and before he would teach, he would say, this is God's word, and the whole church would go, this is God's word. They would repeat it. He said, if I choose to obey, and then he'd repeat it, if I choose to obey, he says, I will never be the same. And they all repeat back, I will never be the same. And a renewed heart by the gospel says, man, you know what? I want to keep the commands of Christ because it's an overflow of worship to my God, the creator who made me and knows best how it all works, right? He teaches us to obey all that he's commanded us. And, and, and at Coastal, man, we engross in the word of God because we understand that the, the word of God, it's, it's cuts 
deep into our thinking and our souls and our life, and it molds us into the image of Jesus Christ. The third reason we teach the Word of God, of course, is because of its force, right? Because of its force. I, uh, I heard a story this week, I read a story this week about a, a businessman, a successful businessman who, whose wife became a disciple. She became a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, it really kind of changed their marriage and changed their world. And, and so the businessman who was busy and successful, and, uh, but he was trying to understand some of the transformation that was going on in his wife's life for the better. And, and so he uh, unannounced and unexpectedly shows up at the door of the pastor's house where his wife had been attending church. He knocks on the door and the pastor answers the door and he goes, listen, and, and, and the pastor at first glance could tell he was, he was successful by the way he was dressed and what he was driving. He could tell he was kind of in a hurry. He says, listen, Pastor, I, um, my wife has gotten a hold of this Christianity stuff, and it's really changed her. And so just, if you could just give me a couple bullet points of Christianity, like what is it about? Just give me a few bullet points. And the pastor looked at him, and he said, um, I'm not going to give you any bullet points of Christianity. And he said, Why? He says, you don't really want the bullet points to Christianity. Because if you heard the bullet points of Christianity and it really, you really began to understand them and it really sunk into your heart and sunk into your mind and sunk into your soul, it's going to change everything about you. It's going to change your view of time and it's going to change your view of success and it's going to change your view of your marriage and it's going to change the view of your remaining years here on earth. It's going to change everything. And so I'm not going to give you the bullet points of Christianity. Yet we live in a culture where the truth is many of us sit here week in and week out and say, hey, Pastor, give me a couple bullet points to following Jesus Christ. We really do want a bullet point Christianity. God, you know, just get me through kind of safe, soft, easy, comfortable, you know. And, and by the way, if you just take care of my eternity, you know, just a couple bullet points. We just kind of want a bullet point Jesus, if you will. You know, not that Jesus really messes with my stuff messes with my life because it had the word of God has force and it will mess with everything in your life. Why? Well, the author of Hebrews says, I'll tell you why, because it's living. The word of God is lit living, literally brings life. By the way, have you, ever, have you ever gotten a hold of a truth in God's word and altered your life in obedience because you wanted to worship Jesus and you altered your life in obedience, right? And all of a sudden your life kind of had this kind of this newfound uh, purpose and meaning. What's that about? It's the word of God. It has life. It's active. It's active. Hebrews says it has words because it's active. It has, and the word active literally means it has energy. The word of God will refresh your soul and it'll give you hope and it'll give you purpose. And the word of God is sharp. Man, it cuts through to everything. It cuts through to the core of who you are. That's why you can't just do it in bullet points. The word of God is going to cut through to your soul and to your heart. You know, I always... I'm always humbled when, and it's not about me, but a couple, not at the 9.30 service, a couple weeks ago we did a baptism, one of the testimonies was, you know, I felt like Pastor Sean was kind of in my living room, you know, and I'd show on Saturday and I'd show up on Sunday and all of a sudden the sermon was like, wow, you know, that's what I need to hear. What's that about? That's the power of the word of God. I'm not, I'm not in his living room, right? It's, it's alive and it's forceful and it's sharp and it cuts straight to who you are and it's discerning. The word of God is discerning, Hebrews says. It knows what's really going on, right? I mean, we show up on our weekend service on Sunday, you know, corporate worship, and man, we all look holy and spiritual, right? Remember, you know, if you ever sat down with someone and said, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with cussing. Well, that's weird. I've never heard you cuss. 
well, I'm not going to cuss around you, right? You know, well, apparently you can control it then, you know, so just pretend I'm with you all the time and you'd be, and the word of, look, you can't, we all look spiritual and you can fake it here and you can fake it, you know, at church and it's small group. You may even be able to fake it with your spouse, but the Bible's really clear. Like the word of God is discerning. And what's interesting about this verse in Hebrews, it's, it's, it's actually set in the context of the judgment seat of Christ. One day we're all going to stand before the God of the universe and everything's going to be laid bare about our heart and our soul, our minds, our motives, and it's all going to be laid bare and the word of God is going to discern what's really going on. It's the power, it's the force of the word of God. And so Jesus says, I want you to teach them all that I've commanded because of the force of God's word. Now, I want to give you a couple results of teaching the disciples, Okay. I want to give you a couple of the results of the teaching of disciples. So the Great Commission was given after the resurrection of Christ, okay? And it was bookended by his authority and by his resurrection, by his power, um, as we've already discussed. Then in the book of Acts, we see the apostles begin to um, put into practice all that they had been taught by Christ, and they began to live this out, and they began to teach other disciples. And so, very, and there's some debate about what does the book of Acts mean? Is it the Acts of the Apostles? Is it the Acts of the Holy Spirit? You know, I, probably, I would say yes, it's probably both, okay? And so, it, it's just the early movement of the church of the new covenant, and all that's happening, and, and these apostles are beginning to teach others. And so I just want to show you a couple results of what happens when you teach the disciples, okay? When you teach other disciples. Number one, very early on in the early church, we see genuine community. Very early on in the early church, we see genuine community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' what? Teaching. So they're taking the commissioning and they're teaching, right? And they devote themselves to the fellowship and the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met in one place and shared everything they had. They, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple once a week. Is that what it says? Every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord did something. What did he do? Added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Notice what doesn't happen here. It, it doesn't say, hey, they had a really good marketing plan. They made sure they were out there on the radio and on the internet and on TV. They made sure they had a, you know, an awesome corporate worship service that went off without a hitch, right? I mean, it was, it was smooth and man, it looked great. No, what happened? It was, gen they were, the apostles were teaching what Jesus had commanded and, and genuine community was the result. People began to love each other. 
And they were generous and they shared with one another. And they, I mean, and there, was, and there was a great movement of the working of God. And, and people were added to the congregation daily, it says. Incredible. I think it's why Jesus taught in John 13. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my what? Hypos. Sometimes we have a hard time just getting along with each other, don't we? And the church of America, generally speaking, is dying. And I think a large portion is, number one, the church in America has slid away from the word of God as being authoritative. All right? So what we're teaching doesn't have any authority. And then number two... We have forgotten how to love each other because when you recognize the authority of the teaching of the word of God, it's going to make you passionately in love with those who follow God's son, Jesus Christ. You're going to love other disciples. All right? The second thing we see here, the second result is that these folks begin to serve one another. Okay, so let's just slide over a couple chapters. Acts chapter 6. All right, if, you, if you're flipping around. Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> Church is still growing. It says, but the believers, they rapidly multiplied, and there was continual joy and happiness. Is that what it says? No. There was rumblings of what? Discontent. Now, by the way, uh, you see this throughout the scriptures, murmurings and rumblings and discontent, and, and, and that, that can be common. And even in, in church, I think it can be common, and... and um, you know, in your engine of your car, there's this thing called pistons, right? And these pistons drive that engine, and, and there's movement there in these pistons. And, 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 and the thing that keeps those pistons moving with ease is this little fluid inside of your engine called oil, right? And uh, so if you, don't, if you haven't changed your oil recently, it's why, you know, if you're a younger person, your dad's always like, have you changed the oil in your car? Maybe it's your mom. You know, maybe your mom's the mechanic. That's how it is in my family. All right, my wife's like, you can change the oil in your car, you know? And... And the reason is, if that oil is not changed, those pistons, eventually there'll be friction and that engine will seize up, okay? So there's oil uh, in the congregation. And, and I believe that that's, to push the illustration a little bit, is, you know, it's the Holy Spirit and it's the Word of God that works in our hearts and molds us into the image of Christ, okay? But there's always going to be change. And I was telling somebody last night, churches are always in one of two places. They're either growing or they're dying, okay? And if a church is growing, which is happening here in Acts 6, there's, there's going to be some friction and there's going to be needed changes, church. We're in the middle of that right now. Okay. Or a church is dying. And if a church is dying, guess what? There's some needed changes and that's going to create friction. Okay. And when there's friction, there's, there's going to be discontent. I'm not welcoming that. I'm saying we have to be cautious of that, but that's, what's going on here. This church is growing. Here's what's going on. Okay. The, the Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So let's go back to Acts chapter 2. What's happening? They've sold their property, right? And they're meeting one another's needs. So there's this food that's got to be... There's ministry going on, okay? Which is important to understand. There's ministry going on. But now there's people saying, you know what? And by the way, this is the really cool movement of God in the old covenant. God was working through the, through the Jewish nation 
nation, the Hebrews, and what was supposed to happen, if you read your Old Testament closely, is the Hebrew nation, because of the overflow of God's blessing and trusting God, were to bless all nations. But that didn't happen, all right? And I thought Jeff, Pastor Jeff painted a great picture of their mentality. It was like, hey, God, just save us from our mess, right? Without understanding their need for spiritual saving. And so, so in the new covenant, there's, God's doing this really new thing. He's bringing two cultures together, and there's this clash, and the believers are going, that ain't fair, right? This is whining going on, okay? That's what's going on here. And they're kind of whining, hey, this ain't fair. So the 12 apostles called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time doing what? Teaching what? The word of God, right? That's where our focus needs to be. We apostles spent our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So the brothers selected seven men who were well-respected and are full of spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend their time in prayer and in teaching the word of God. Okay? I told you guys a couple weeks ago, one of the things that I asked you to be praying about as an executive pastor. I'm going to tell you why I said that, because Pastor Sean has been spending a whole lot of time managing the church. Right? And my time in this area has taken a, an unfortunate back seat. And that's not where it needs to be. It's not where my focus needs to be. Okay? So that's why we're changing. Okay? But here's what I want you to take away from this. The word of God moves God's people into ministry. When the apostles are taught, it moves them into ministry. At Coastal Community Church, we have hundreds and hundreds of ministers. Did you know that? Now, I know a lot of people look at Pastor Sean or Pastor Joey or Pastor Jeff, and they go, there are ministers. No, no, that's backwards. They're the teachers of the word of God to equip the people of the, the disciples to go out and do ministry. Check this out. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul kind of hits this. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to his church. What are the gifts that Christ gave to his church? You ready? The apostles the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Now, this is going to seem kind of self-serving, okay? But it's in God's Word, and so it's my responsibility to teach it, all right? Your pastors and your church leaders are a gift to Coastal Community Church. And I say that because there's going to come a day I won't be the pastor here. It's not going to be today or next week, okay? But there'll come a day, so I don't live forever, and so it's important for me to teach you this. You, you always need to look at, you know, one of the, I've told, told my dad this. I said, one of the reasons I'm in ministry today is I never, ever remember, and I'm sure my dad had his issues at times with the pastor, maybe, maybe not, but I never heard him talk about it in the house as a kid, never. I always heard him talking positively about the gifts to the church, always. You know, and I think it's part of the reason I grew and, and respected the church and respected the ministry, you know, because my father always talked positively about the gifts to the church. Now, what is the responsibility of the pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles and prophets? Ready? What's their responsibility? Well, that's a good question because that's the next verse. Ready? So their responsibility is to equip God's people to do what? His work. And build up the church, the body of Christ. The responsibility of the gifts to the church is to equip people for ministry. And that's the result of teaching disciples. When you teach disciples the word of God, I could give you many more, but I wanted to point out two out of the book of Acts right away in the early church is genuine community and serving one another in ministry. 
dying to you and serving others. This past week, I was channel surfing with my, with my kids, and, and uh, I came across the TV version of the movie Gladiator. And uh, that's actually probably one of my all-time favorite movies. I, I just love it for so many reasons, man. The kind of the, the post general that becomes a slave, that becomes a gladiator, that eventually becomes more popular than the emperor himself. You know, I just, just love the whole premise, you know, and, and he dies for his nation, you know. And um, <clears throat> when, general, when General Maximus is now a gladiator, his first battle in the, uh, in the Colosseum of Rome under the watchful eye of the evil emperor Commodus is a reenactment of the Battle of Carthage, okay? And so, and so they, uh, he got, he is, he, he, uh, him and the other gladiators are in the center of the arena, and Maximus takes control of this group of gladiators, and he says, listen, we have got to stay together. And he huddles them all up, and he says, whatever comes out of that tunnel, we stay together, and immediately the gates open up and out of the tunnel comes the, uh, the reenactment of the Roman army. And they're well equipped and they're on horses and they're on chariots and they've got all the, the modern battle technology of the day. And, and what happens is one of the gladiators gets nervous and he begins to run and he's immediately killed. And at that point, Maximus yells out, stay together. We've got to stay together. And as they begin to circle the group of gladiators... Eventually, Maximus goes, now, and they all attack at once, and they end up defeating this staged reenactment of the Battle of Carthage, and, and uh, Commodus, kind of the, the evil dictator at the time, he looks over at the, um, he looks over at the man who put this, put this Colosseum games together, and he says, uh, my memory of Roman history is rusty, but didn't we beat Carthage the first time, you know, and, and, uh, and Maximus starts to grow as a hero. Church, I want to remind us that as disciples, if we're going to follow and teach all the teachings that Christ has given us, a couple of the overflow of that teaching is that we stay together. The overflow of that teaching is that we have genuine community and we serve one another in ministry. In fact, when Jesus was asked to sum up all the law and the prophets. Like, hey, Jesus, sum up all the rules of God. All the commands of Scripture. Sum it up into like one line for us. Remember what Jesus said? It's very simple. He says, you got to love God with all that you are. And some of you know what comes next, right? And love your, what? Neighbor as yourself. You're not going to do that unless the message of the gospel has sunk deeply into your heart. I mean, if we're really going to teach disciples all that Christ has commanded, it's really simple. You have to die to you, love God, and selflessly love others. And church, I'm going to be honest with you, we're going through some changes right now, and it's an opportunity it's an opportunity for Satan to get his foothold in here. It's an opportunity for, for some murmuring and some discontent. And let me encourage you with this. It's our job to grow to more like Christ. And the overflow of the gospel is you are going to love each other. There's going to be genuine community. 
There's going to be genuine ministry to one another. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the great commission, God. Thank you for commissioning your church. Thank you that we get to be a small part of what you're doing, God. God, I believe that there are plenty of resources to be poured out on a church that takes the commissioning of Christ seriously. God, help us to be a church that's committed to the word of God. We live in a culture where um, the word of God having authority is beginning to be mocked and scorned and frowned upon. And God, we got to be a church that's committed to the truth and the authority of your word because part of your commissioning is we're to teach the disciples all that you've commanded us, God. God, help us to adjust our lives in obedience, not as a checklist, but as an act of worship to you. Help the overflow of our love for you to be genuine community and ministry to one another. God, protect us from disunity. In fact, the New Testament is full of the encouragement of the Apostle Paul to be unified, to make peace, to love one another as an overflow of the message of the gospel. God, we give you praise for the commissioning that you've given us. God, I want to lift up next week's service, Easter weekend. God, we know it's a weekend where um, a lot of people will investigate the claims of Christ. I pray, God, that this, they would walk in these doors at our corporate worship and find a, a loving community, a genuine community, and the truth of the resurrected Savior would grab a hold of people's hearts and change them forever and ever. There's not a bullet point, Jesus but that Jesus would change all of our lives for the glory of God and the good of man. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Church, this is our offering time. Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. We're thrilled that you're here. Uh, I don't want you to feel any obligation to give any money. We're not after your money. We do an offering at Coastal because it's one of the ways we worship God. If you'd like to join us in that, you're certainly welcome to. As a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. We call that a connect card. If you would just fill that out, we want to send you a thank you for coming. If you're here this morning and uh, you're in need of some prayer or to talk to someone, uh, we always have a prayer team member sitting on the front row. You'll know them because they wear purple shirts, and you're welcome to come out and talk to them during the offering time or even after the service. They're there to minister to you. Uh, we would love for them to pray with you. Okay? Brian. We are the change the world is waiting for we've got a love the world is desperate for we will leave take to your street now's the time
Time for us to rise and carry.